Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. the series and the essence of this amazing, amazing book. And I want to tell you that part of the challenge of studying a book like Galatians is it's not got this narrative that flows. You know, like the book, like Joseph and the story of Joseph. He goes on a story and his brothers chuck him in a pit and then he gets sold and you can kind of follow the story, the book of Daniel and and Daniel's journey. You can follow all these amazing stories and we love Jonah and we love telling the narratives and the challenges that this book doesn't have that same kind of clear-cut line story that people love to be able to tell and can relate to. So it's a bit harder to get into. But we want to take tonight, and I want to take tonight as a moment to introduce this book to you. And here's what my desire is. My desire is that you would have an appetite to go and feast and devour on the Word of God and this incredible letter of Galatians. Is that right? Yeah. It's, 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 sometimes we're good at spoon-feeding in the church, but actually there's got to be moments where we say, actually, I'm going to take ownership of my growth journey. So I want to share four points with you, just that are encouragements about why we should be studying the Word of God. Not why I should as the pastor or other Bible teachers, maybe your life group leader. I remember being young in the church and wasting many, many years in the life of the church because I kind of thought, well, it's that guy's job to prepare. It's that guy's job to be in the Word. And I come and I get my 30, 35 minutes back in those days, an hour <laughs> of download. The challenges, and I want to give you four reasons why this is important. The first one is study so you can grow. And when we grow, we learn to obey him. You can't obey someone you don't know. And the journey of relationship and not religion, the journey of relationships, we get to know God. And as we know him, we journey towards a life and a life of obedience to him. But here's what we've got to take seriously as believers, is our growth journey, our personal growth journey. And let me tell you that 30 or 35 minutes once a week, every week, it doesn't matter, 30, 35 minutes of a whole day, 24 hours, once of every seven days is not enough to grow. And um, 1 Peter 2 verse 2 says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted, the Lord is good. He's saying, now that you've tasted that God is good, I want to ask you tonight, have you tasted that God is good? I'll be honest, I'd seen miracles I'd seen the hardest of hearts turn to Jesus. I'd seen marriages restored. I'd seen so many things. I tasted how good God was way before I got on a journey of growth. Confession time. I wasted years. And I don't want that to be your story because it was mine. And this story and this scripture, and Peter, the, the apostles encourage us saying like a newborn baby. You've just got to have a baby who is breastfeeding and know that they don't give up. It's not like you can just turn to the baby and say, listen, Olivia, you are seven weeks old. You will just keep quiet for now. I'm telling you because your food will come soon. They don't respond to that. They just go. And they're looking. Was that good? It was a good impression. And there's no teeth, so it's more like. But they don't stop. They go after it because they are desperate. and Their body is desperate. Their every part of them is desperate for nourishment. Are you desperate for nourishment? Are you desperate to grow? Because let me tell you how that happens. 
It doesn't happen by just 30 minutes a week, someone else telling you their work and hours and hours in the presence of God. It happens by you going and opening the Word of God, finding your way into it. I know it's hard. It took me years. That's why our job is to make it simpler for you. Our job is to create the ways and the avenues, and our job is to give you every tool that you need to go on that journey. But here's what we need for you, and here's what you need for you is to go on that journey. Otherwise, we'll spend our lives walking with fire insurance from hell, but never experiencing the kingdom of God in this life. And I want that for you. The second reason that to study God's word is that we, we don't get stuck. Not just stuck where we are, but stuck in error or false teaching. See, here's the thing. We're all learning all the time. Maybe you think, I'm not on a growth journey. I'm telling you, you are. You just might not be growing in the right areas. Because everything in our lives is a teacher to us. The internet, TV, the people we hang out with, the environments we place ourselves in, all these things are teachers to us. So what is the grid and how do you funnel all that teaching? You can't stop it. It's coming. Thousands and thousands of images every day. They are teaching, they are fashioning, they are shaping. And unless the Word of God is a grid through which you funnel everything and allow everything to be processed, I promise you we'll end up going on degrees and degrees off the track. And here's what the Bible says, there are false teachers. How will you know? How would you know unless you are in the Word? The Bible in Acts 17 speaks of the Bereans as those who were able to, they spent day after day in the Word, and because of that, they were able to detect error in teaching. How would you know? Uh, I'm devastated every time I meet with someone who've been walking with the Lord for year after year, and someone posts something on the internet just because they posted it, obviously it's true, and obviously it's right, and I read it, I'm going, that is ridiculously bad theology. Just got to be honest with you. No, but this person posted, I don't care. I'm just telling you, in the light and the grid of the Word of God, it's bad, and it's bad for you. It's not just bad. Thirdly, I would say that to become someone who can teach others. What does the Bible say? It says, become a disciple who gets disciples. How are you going to do with disciples? What do you do with disciples? You teach them. And now not everyone will have these platforms and these forums to teach, but my life is a teaching. You will have children. You will be called to teach. What will you teach them? What you saw other parents do? You don't know why? You don't know why they made the decisions they made? I'm putting these before you because I'm telling you, as a church, we are committed not to fill seats on a Sunday. We are committed to going on journeys so that God raises and releases from this house men and women who have grown into everything that God had for them in that season. So that one day when you leave, for whatever reason, or you travel, that you go stronger than you came in. Not just more knowledge, stronger in God able to teach others, because that is the journey. The journey of maturity in the Bible, the journey of maturity in in Jesus is, I'm an infant and I'm fed and others have to feed me. I grow up a little bit like my three-year-old now, and and I can feed myself because I can hold a knife and a fork and a spoon, well, sort of, if we're talking about my three-year-old, but I can feed myself and others just got to make the food. Then I grow up a bit and I can cook. Judah can make toast. He's eight years old. He can make toast and eggs and sort himself out. I can cook. But I'll grow one day into a parent who can sustain others. I can feed others. I can provide for others. 
The journey of maturity is about moving from being a baby who needs nourishment from other people all the time to a journey where I am a person solid in my call, solid in who God has for me, and I can feed others His Word. Because here's the truth. The food is never lacking, and the nourishment is never short. It's our delivery of it. Does that make sense? I, I want us to grow together. I wasted too many years, guys. This room is tonight majority full of younger folk. I wasted too many years. I wish I could get them back. And the last reason, and I think probably the most important and beautiful reason, is as I give myself to study, it's an act of worship, and I believe it reveals my love for God and His Word. When I give myself to discipline, to study, to take time out, to prioritize, I believe I'm saying to God, God, I'm so serious about the love that you have given me that I want to grow in this love as much as the songs I sing on a Sunday. Maybe even more. Is that right? Four reasons why I think it's good for us to get stuck into his word. Why? Because Psalm 1 verse 2 says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. Our, 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 they, our, they, the people who went before us, and we would have monks who would leave, and they would go into deserts. Why? So they can get rid of distractions to worship God. Now, I'm not advocating that walk of life, but there was something about the intentionality that was beautiful. It was beautiful about meditating on God day and night, even in the midst of busy lives. So the series, we are jumping into Jesus plus nothing. Can you grab your swords, please? Meaning your Bible. It's a Christian kind of. And um, yes, you have a cell phone, Rion. I know that. I don't know about you, but when I grew up in the, in the church, I was so intimidated by the preacher guy. He would like, the Bible's like, a, like, like you know those fast gun shooters at church? Not at church, in the, in the Westerns. <laughs> And they would whip out their Bible like this, woof, next minute they're in Leviticus. I'm like, how do you find, no one finds Leviticus that quickly. No one, it's impossible. I'm giving you a chance to get to Galatians, so carry on. And, um, and uh, in that journey, I, I realized, and one day I snuck up to the front, so I've got to see this Bible. It had these sneaky little in-cuts into the sides. And then, even worse, his preach and notes were kind of for, printed out and put in the Bible. So obviously when he opened it, it opened there. I was so disappointed, and every idea I had about my pastor was gone. <laughs> By the way, his name's Rory Dye, and um, he's coming in two weeks' time. Galatians 1, and if you don't have a Bible, chill out. We've got it on the screen. But if you have a Bible, could you read it from your Bible with me? And before I even get to some of the context, I want you to pick up a little bit of a tone. Understand this. This is a letter. It's a letter. It's a letter written by a man named Paul who preached the gospel in an area, and he loves these people, and false teachers have come in and started preaching another gospel. That's the context. But every book, these books are letters. Every letter has a sender, every letter has a receiver, every letter has a message, and every letter has a context. Kans and I were unpacking and repacking when we moved to Cape Town. We found this little letter that I must have written when I was six or seven years old, and it went like this. Dear mom and dad, I have been naughty. I watched Three's company. Love you, Mark. The context was that I was supposed to be in bed when Three company was on. My parents were at Bible school, so they were out in the evenings, and I stayed there and stayed up watching Three's company. 
So I felt the need to confess to my mother and father through a letter. And I was the sender and they were the receivers. But then there are other letters which I've received in my life, which were powerful for me. One of them was two years ago, I got this letter handwritten from my father. Who 10 years ago, when I made the decision to leave corporate world and a whole bunch of studies behind, he struggled with that decision. To a point where it was like, look, I love God and you, this is good for you, but... uh, And so for years, it was kind of like that. It was like, love you, doing good work, but... uh, Till I got a letter two years ago. My father, who is an Afrikaans man, who struggles to communicate sometimes, had, without any prompting from myself, wrote a letter about how he saw God's hand in the journey. That letter I will hold forever. That letter shapes me. That letter gives me courage when other letters come. That letter speaks louder than most letters. This is a letter of a father to people who are in trouble. We've got to take it seriously and read it like that. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, he's writing about himself, sent not from men nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia, to its sent to, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's the gospel in five verses. Do you want to know how to tell the gospel? Verse four, 3, 4, and 5. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Haibo! Sorry, that's not in the Bible, that's me. As we have already said... So now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Can I pray quickly? Jesus, we come to now and we're so grateful as we've sung of all that we have received from you. Father, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you. And we come tonight under your word. We come tonight under your truths. We come tonight, I pray, even as a great theme of this book is freedom for the believers. I pray, God, would you bring freedom in this place where freedom is needed. That you would get all the glory, all the praise. We worship you, Jesus. Amazing. I want to tell you that this letter is important for us. This, was the, this letter, the book of Galatians and Romans, the cornerstone of the Reformation. And Martin Luther and his mates and the Protestant Reformation that we are the recipients of and we walk in the grace and the freedom because they fought for something. Maybe you struggle with the fighting language of Paul, but our forefathers who set us apart and fought for that we would have access to what we have access today, they fought for something. And this scripture gave them the courage. This scripture gave them the weaponry. This scripture enabled them and continues to enable the church to walk into everything. And it's underpinned by this amazing, amazing doctrine, the doctrine of justification. And the doctrine of justification means that I'm in right relationship with God 
that I'm completely forgiven and I'm now a son or daughter of the living king and I have a place in his house and I go on a journey of transformation by his grace through the Holy Spirit in my life. It's an incredible, incredible truth. But Galatians gets to the essence of this and says this amazing thing, that if you get this one wrong, and we're going to talk about justification a lot, but if you get this one wrong, all the other doctrines fall like dominoes. See, it's perfect what Jesus has done. It's perfect. It's completely, completely sufficient. And what Paul is smashing is this concept that, well, Jesus is perfect, cool. What we're going to do is we're going to add a little bit. See, when you add to perfection, you don't get more perfection. You get imperfection. You get perversion. That's why Paul is so passionate. So three things and big ideas and three big reasons that he wrote this amazing book. The first one is this, is Galatians clearly, clearly demonstrates the essence of Christianity, underpinned by this doctrine of justification. And presents this incredible truth that it's Jesus plus nothing. Not Jesus plus being nice to people. Not Jesus plus walking people across the, the, the road. Not Jesus plus um, serving in church. Not Jesus plus praying 17 hours a day. Not Jesus plus speaking to people nicely. All those are good things. And they bring him glory. And he loves it because we are living to please him. But none of those add to my position before God. I am completely, completely forgiven. Washed by his love, washed by his grace. And nothing adds to that. Now we struggle with that. Because we work for everything in life. You want a paycheck? Work. We've taught, learned it, we taught it to our kids. You want those extra biscuits? Go clean up the room. No, no, no. I'll give you the biscuits because I love you, and you just clean up the room because you love me. Problem is, they're little kids, so we've got to teach them. So God walks us on these journeys, and I think he even allows us to walk a little bit of that. But if we stay in that for the rest of our lives, we stay infants. We stay insecure. We stay thinking there is a judging father looking over us all the time. Ooh, Paul smashes this. The second thing that he smashes is a concept of legalism and the law. And we're going to speak more about this. I'm not going to throw it open right now. But that's, he does that by presenting a high view of the doctrine of justification. Go and study it, guys. Maybe you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. That's okay. Study it. And the last one is he shows that Christianity has no ethnic, nationalistic, or cultural walls. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And at the center of the, the Galatian story, as you'll read, there are cultural things going on. See, Judaism... And Jewishness was not just a religion, it had become their culture. They had walked for year after year through the Exodus, through life, and a whole bunch of the laws that God had given them to walk in freedom had become part of culture and everyday life. I want to tell you that maybe you come from an Afrikaans background, a a, a Congolese background, a Mozambican background, a, a, a white suburban background. There is something of a grid that wants to bring that, and that becomes our grid for the gospel. And our journey with the Spirit of God and allowing the Word of God to come over that is there is a higher culture than my culture. It's called the kingdom culture where there is a king and his life brings a grid for me to live life. How do I do relationships? The Bible shows me. It doesn't tell me how to date someone. It doesn't tell me how to do this. But it tells me how to do life. It's even better. 
So there's this amazing context, and it's written to this context of Galatia. It's a place. It's not just a bunch of people called the Galatians. It's a place. Maybe we can pop the map up. And, and uh, Sorry, did that come out? It's real. Paul had gone on this ministry journey, and in this first ministry journey he went on, if you look at the top right there, that whole big area is called Galatia because the Gauls had settled there. And there was a mix of the Gauls who were this tribalistic people. They were rough as anything, known as the Celts or the Gauls. And they were rough. They worshipped other gods. They had other traditions. They slaughtered all sorts. And they weren't constrained by the laws the Jewish people were constrained by. If you wanted your neighbor's house, you just killed him. If you wanted his wife, you killed him. I think you get the theme there. And so these are the Gauls. And also in this place were the Greco, the Grecians. And so they come together and they came up with a name called the Galatians. That's how you get Galatia. But mixed in this whole mix are some of the Christians who got saved in some of these other cities like Ephesus and Antioch and, and, and Derby and some of these amazing ships as Paul had been preaching to the Gentiles and they'd moved inland as opportunities arose. So you've got this mix happening. And culture starts to become a big thing. And so what happens as that whole story unfolds is the Jews are there and they're going, yeah, but this guy Paul, he, he's preaching the gospel and everyone's receiving the same salvation. So these dudes, these, these uncircumcised Galatians, see circumcision is going to be a big thing in the Bible. So get used to us talking about it. Is that all right? See some of the Ozark. And, uh, and, and, and so you can understand these Jewish guys. They've walked and generation after generation, they've tried to appease the laws. Generation after generation, they've gone through the exodus. They've been persecuted for everything they believe. They've been persecuted for this God who loves them. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes, changes the game. This guy, Paul, who was a persecutor of the Jews, says, Ba-boom, on a road to Damascus, I encountered Jesus. And I went from the greatest persecutor of you to the one who's going to proclaim him to the Gentiles because none of you will go to them. And he goes to the Gentiles and he preaches the gospel of justification where it's only because of Jesus and only by the blood of Jesus that we are saved. It's not about your culture. It's not about everything that you fold. And it's not about being circumcised. And the Jewish guys are there going, mm, that's fine. Well, we're happy with that. Give us the full gospel of that. And let's add on circumcision. And you can understand. So Paul's gone on his ministry trip. He comes back on a second trip. He's in Antioch. And he hears that other teachers have been there. And they've said, Actually, it is the gospel, but you've got to add circumcision. It is the gospel, but you've got to add some rituals. It is the gospel, but you've got to add the stuff, because if you truly want to be saved, you've got to add stuff. Does it sound a little bit sometimes like the walk in the church? We do it. It's, it's kind of, yeah, you've got to do this. And then the guy walks in, he's like, I'm saved. Yes, you are, but, but you really got to wake up really early tomorrow and read your word. It's that subtle. Now, is reading a word bad? No. It's amazing. This is what Paul is dealing with. And I want to tell you that sometimes in the church, we, are so, we give so much attention and energy, emotional, physical time. I, I see the fights on Christians. Because understand this, all of this is going on in the church. This book is written about a context in the church and battles that are going on in the church. I see Christians in the church fighting, and unfortunately, the whole world can see. I think sometimes Christians forget unbelievers are on Facebook too. It wasn't made for us. And Christians are fighting about things that aren't primary. They are secondary. 
And now just to give you context, it's, it's well, you aren't a real church because you don't have a prayer meeting every week. Okay? Are people praying? Are people getting trained to pray in groups, whether it's groups of hundreds or smaller, maybe called life groups? Should we have prayer meetings? Great idea. Want to. But is it primary, the prayer meeting, or is a culture of prayer in the life of believers primary? Because I'm not sure the Bible tells me every day there has to be a pruning. I'm not sure it mandates that. Gives us a description of a church who did that every day, but they lived in a very different context and a very different time. And maybe a whole bunch of other things, but what about the Sabbath? Maybe you've come from a Christian background or some kind of religious background. I've had people leave this church because we do not mandate which day is the Sabbath. We don't tell people that the Sabbath is some kind of God thing for us that you have to do every day. Was the Sabbath amazing? And is it amazing for my spirit, for my physical, and for my relationship with Jesus and my family? Yes, it is. Do I endeavor to give it a go as best as I can? I'm trying because I believe it's a great gift to us. But if I don't pull it off, do I live under some condemnation? Jesus doesn't love me. No. Why? Because Jesus walked into a room where a man was sick on the Sabbath. And before he, he reached out and prayed for this man and healed him, he looked around. The Bible says in Luke 5, he looked at them with anger. And then he healed them. The Bible puts those little one-liners in there for a reason. When we don't see those little statements, we're missing the bigger story. And I want to tell you that we need to get better at focusing on the primary things and fighting for the primary things and let the secondary things take care of themselves. Give less energy. See, Paul isn't fighting for what the gospel does or what it looks like. He's fighting for the very essence of the truth of the gospel. It's worth fighting for. And there's a whole bunch of cultural things going on and there's a, a couple of big questions that get thrown at us. And the first one is this. It says, how Jewish should the non-Jewish believers now become? How, how Jewish should they become? Because God came for us. The problem is, Jesus didn't come for us, the Jews. Jesus came for all. For God so loved the world, not the Jewish world, the world. Happens in the church today, guys. We get that one wrong. And uh, this book goes directly into the heart of, well, what do you have to add on to become a believer, to walk in the freedom of Jesus Christ? And I've told the story before here, but I think unconsciously, the first time I visited this church, the very first thing I noticed, and the very first challenge I had to the elders when we met with them was, there's a no smoking sign outside the building. We don't even notice it because we hang around believers all the time. So what are you saying there? What, what is... The thought process. Or isn't there one? Because I promise you guys, in my Bible, maybe you've got a different one, but in my Bible, smoking's not a sin. It might be really bad for you. It might be the reason you die early. <laughs> it might do a whole bunch of things that are real. But for me to tell you they're a sin, I have added to the gospel. I will tell you it's really bad for you. I will tell you it'll probably kill you because I've had family members die from it. But I'll never tell you that Jesus doesn't love you because you sin. And there will always be a seat at his table. And then there's more questions like, what does a Christian do with all these laws? And, and specifically, you're going to see the word law a lot. 
Mosaic law, the law of Moses, also called the Mosaic law, also the first five chapters of the Bible. And what gets exposed are all these laws that were given as a gift to God's people. Why? Because they weren't able to be in relationship with God. So they had to do religion. They had to fulfill a whole bunch, 613 laws. They didn't have to fulfill 600 or 599. They had to fulfill 613 to be clean and clear before God. So they could come before God and be seen as His holy people. But then Jesus breaks in. And he tears the veil from the top to the bottom and says, no more. My blood is sufficient. Are a whole bunch of those laws really good for you still? Sure. Are they really good life that that can be flown when you find life in them? Yes, but the life is in Jesus. The source of the ability to walk in those ways is in Jesus. The ability to break free from the addictions and the things that hold you is in Jesus, not in any law. It's a big thing. And I want to share with you some of the laws that that were included in this. Here's one. Help others load their beast. I went camping with these guys and we met Henry last week. Henry must be about a 150 kg pot belly pig. He's black and dirty and eats apples all day. Now imagine my neighbor had a Henry. And I'm sitting in my office looking. And Henry needs to go to the vet if pigs go to vets. And, and now my neighbor's struggling to get Henry in the vet. I'm going, I have to go help him. Otherwise, I'm unclean. Otherwise, I'm... Un- That's the laws. These are, this is the laws. The worker must not eat while on hired time. Who nibbles at work? Say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I eat all day. The worker must not take more than he can eat. Who's been to a buffet? And ever gone, that's my share. I've eaten 109 rand exactly. No one. No one's ever done that. But there's a whole bunch of other laws, and I'm not trying to make trivial. These things helped God's people. At a time when they weren't able to walk in relationship with Jesus, and Jesus hadn't have set them free, and the Holy Spirit wasn't in them. See, what's promised to you and I is the day you made your decision to follow Jesus, the day you said, I'm a son of God, that day you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, and forever you will be sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. See, the challenge, the Jewish guys and their concepts of, well, I'm saved now because of Jesus and I can respond. These are Christians. They're not Jewish. Sorry, I'm using wrong language. These are Jewish converts to Christianity. Messianic Christians, however you want to call it. They were struggling with the fact that they'd always done all the stuff well. Does it sound a little bit like the older brother in Luke 15 who really struggled when his father received his son home? Sounds a lot like it. So, so just we love the gospel. If you just add circumcision to it, if you just add a whole bunch of rules, and then actually we'll be happy with it. So I want to give you a quick structure of this book and then... A few points you're going to struggle with. Tonight's a little bit longer. I trust you're being equipped. I trust you're being equipped. Can I give you an observation that someone gave me years ago? Because I notice not many are taking notes. And it's not because I'm good. It's because I want you to grow. And I learned something at school when I had to copy my best mate's file halfway through the year. It's because the notes help. To remember. So just an observation, not a rebuke. Uh, 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 we want to grow. Do you want to grow? I want to grow. 
I want to help you grow. Just this challenge. He spends three verses. He takes three verses and says, how is it? How's it, guys? I'm Paul, the apostle. And I'm like, sometimes I take a lot longer to get to the meat. Then he carries on. his chapter two. He challenges the Galatians with a summary about the crucified Jesus. Incredible. Go and read it. Chapter three and four, he then presents the same gospel and the purity of the gospel and presents this new multi-ethnic family, which brings God is calling us to. And lastly, he says, well, the power and the, for that is through the Holy Spirit. So that's the book that we're going to go into. And many would say, it's, well, how is it relevant? I don't live under 613, years and if my, 613 laws, and if my neighbor had a Henry, I wouldn't help him anyway. Well, it's not about that. It's about the things that want to creep in. So I want to present a few little thoughts on why people, often in the church, and the church would fight about this book. There's more fighting about this book and this letter than pretty much most else. It's split movements. It's brought division in the church. And I would say all for good reason, often. Because legalism has to find its way out. And a couple of reasons. The first one is people would say, well, emotion has no place in religion. That's a, it's a, Paul, you read the first 10 verses, like he's very angry. He's a very angry man. No, he's passionate. And I would agree with you that emotion has no place in religion. The only problem is I'm not dealing with religion. I'm dealing with relationship. Christianity is not religion. It's relationship. And in relationships, I am passionate. In relationships, I am emotional. A relationship without emotion, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Honestly, emotions are invested and should be. And he's imploring this church, this people across Galatia, he's imploring them to freedom. It's a big thing to fight for. It's a very big thing to fight for. A primary thing. He's dealing with primary issues. You got that language? Secondly, Paul seems to take it personally. As you read further in the book, you see he takes on Apostle Peter. Who's Peter? Just whether everyone called Peter. No, same Peter who denied Christ. Same Peter, the Spirit of God came on and he preached and 3,000 got saved. Same Peter, who seemed to have an influence to lead the disciples afterwards. Same Peter. And Paul challenges him on this primary truth of the gospel. You know what the challenge is? You're never going to have good relationships. This is in the church, guys. You're never going to have good relationships in the church unless you're able to deal with confrontation and do it well. Or at least grow in your ability to do it. You're just never going to grow. You're never going to be able to. So it's church after church because every time someone confronts me, I'm out. Meanwhile, the very thing God is wanting to deal with you happens in those scrum down moments. I'm convinced of it and I see it in this gospel. Here's the amazing thing about the Bible. It doesn't hide. It's like, oh, it's hide this issue between Paul and Peter. Let's just tell them what came out of it. Now, the Bible is so honest. The Bible tells us that they had this issue. Imagine churches could be that transparent. Isn't that beautiful? And I want to tell you that this thing and this issue and this very fight in the book of Galatians has been a personal thing for me in the past and more recently. As people have begun to want to speak a gospel that to me looks very similar like the ones the cronies started to speak in Galatians. Let me tell you a little bit about these voices because understand you're going to hear different voices. A couple of things they'll come across as very convincing. Very convincing. These guys were very convincing, and they came with a story. Let us tell you, as we add to the gospel, who backs us? James. Who's James? 
James was Jesus' brother on this earth, his half-brother or step-brother, whatever you want to call him. And who's this guy, Paul? He didn't even see Jesus on earth. Oh, well, he had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus came back to reveal himself to him. But a pretty big convincing angle to we've got James backing us and sending us. If you want to understand some of these voices, they'll come across as self-sacrificing. You know what the challenge with the Facebook right now? It's very easy to become a martyr or an expert in something. To become a martyr, in the old days, you had to be killed for something. Then you're a martyr. These days, you just need an emotive post, well-worded with a few likes and maybe a share. And if you get the right likes and the right shares, you're a martyr. To become an expert, who needs 10,000 hours or years and years of studies or dedication to a cause or a process or a journey of maturity? You just need to make a statement someone else said, claim it for yourself, don't quote, because why do that? And you're an expert. I'm just being honest, guys. I love Facebook because I get to connect with a lot of my friends, most of whom are on KZN. But this concerns me. I see people following these rabbit warrens as people go on chat, and I promise you, it becomes a learning, leading voice in your life. Be careful, the voices, that large chunks of it will have truth like this. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus a bit of law. And generally, I genuinely believe most people who go down a road, even a road of somewhat false teaching, are generally, genuinely sincere. They love Jesus. They love the story. But there's a leaning or a, 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 a launching towards something. I want to tell this. If you want teachers in your life, look for teachers who are teachable. Look for teachers who are still in relationship to their teachers. Stay with me, guys. Look for teachers who are still in relation with their teachers and people who are still being taught. Follow those teachers. Does that make sense? Because it's amazing how quickly people pop up to be a teacher, but they are in no relation with any teachers. They have never had teachers in their life, and they walk an unteachable journey. Don't be that person either. A couple of other statements that I'll just throw at you. People would say a book like Galatians, it's a bit above my pay grade, a bit above my intellectual and theological pay grade. Don't count yourself out. Delve into the Word of God. The Spirit of God will show, will lead. Lastly, tolerance and tact. Two, two more things. Tolerance and tact are two big words for us in our world. Oh, that's not very tactful to tackle someone. Paul, in this book, completely lacked tact. Jesus, when dealing with legalists, completely lacked tact and wasn't an issue of tolerance. I'm telling you now, if you are passionate about the gospel, there's got to be something rising up where we understand that Tact and tolerance sometimes have to fall at the feet of primary truth. And I'm telling you, that church will see Jesus in amazing, amazing ways. Two more points. I'm not going to explain them. One, I'm not lazy, but it's that guy's job to teach. It's that guy's job to get in the Word. No, it's your job to mature. It's your job. It's not my job. My job is to give you every ability to mature. But trust me, it's not my job to grow you up. Jesus does that when you go to him. And lastly, everyone has the potential to be a legalist. I know I do. I know people who walk with the Lord for 50 years do. Every one of us has the potential, and there's always a little legalist wanting to pop out. And the only way we fight that is by the word of God being our solid grid for life and the spirit of God feeding us life.
So welcome to Jesus plus nothing. That was a mouthful. And I wasn't funny at all. I apologize. (laughs) But this is the word of God. And unless we are prepared to do work in the word of God and allow the word of God to penetrate our thoughts, our hearts, our emotions, our every being, I'm telling you now, guys, we won't mature. We won't have the impact we're called to have. Can I pray for us? You guys are right. Everyone breathe in. I needed that more than you. Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, we come and we surrender ourselves. And it's been a little bit longer tonight, but I pray, would you be speaking? Would you be challenging? And I pray every one of us would leave here with decisions to grow in you. Because here's the thing. You are committed to our growth. More committed than we could ever be. You are committed to our maturing in you. Why, God? Because you get all the glory. You get all the praise. It's all for you. So I pray the disqualifying voices would silence now and men and women would rise up to find you in your word for themselves as your church matures and grows, as your spirit leads us, and as Jesus, our older brother, calls us into more, the one who paid the way, that we could have access. We're so grateful. We thank you, God, and we give you all the glory and all the praise. Amen.